Jesus is delivering his farewell speech to his friends in today's gospel lesson. It's a little odd to be thinking about a farewell speech that he's saying as we are here in the middle of the season of Easter. But then again, if we look at it, we ourselves are preparing for the ascension. This goodbye uh, message that Jesus delivers to his friends um, is somewhat preparing us as well for when he goes back to heaven, where he is now seated and from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, as the creed used to be translated. In fact, the whole gospel is written to us from a retrospective uh, perspective, isn't it? It, It's written looking back and recalling the events in the life of Jesus. And I think sometimes maybe maybe the the apostles, they they sort of missed maybe the profundity of the moment. You know how that happens, don't you? You're in a conversation with somebody, they begin to tell you something, you don't realize how profound it is because maybe at the time you're thinking about the fact that your shoelaces are untied or how did I put on one brown and one blue sock today? You know, and you you completely miss what they were saying and all of a sudden a, a day later you say to yourself, did she really say she was going to race in the Kentucky Derby next year? Or, um, you know, did they, they really move to Russia? What, what? No, you know, you remember, oh goodness, they said something very profound. I think that's the way these words came back to John. As he wrote down these words of Jesus If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Jesus said, didn't he? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If then. You know, when somebody gives you the if then clause, it's always very unambiguous, isn't it? If you love me, then. These are the expectations. In this case, you will keep my commandments. And the corollary logic must also be true, right? If you don't keep Jesus' commandments, what does that say about your love for him? And so um, I read one commentator this week who wrote this. This command could not be any clearer. To love Jesus and call Him Lord is to obey Him. The reverse of this statement would then be true. If I don't keep His commandments, how can I say that I love Him? And so that's that, right? If you love Jesus, you'll obey Him. And if you ever disobey Him... Well, you know what that means too, right? But things aren't always so cut and dry with us humans, are they? They're just not that easy. They don't always work out. I mean, think about these other similar veins of logic. If a parent loved his or her children, they would never say anything that would harm them. Well, yeah, that sounds good and right, except for the fact that sometimes my kids are very hurt when I say it's time to go to school. You know, um, I remember one of my sons, who'll go without a mention today, when we took him to school in the first grade, he, he didn't want to come back home. I mean, he, or he, he, was, he was so upset. Excuse me, he, he wanted to come back home. He didn't want to go. The next day, we tried to put him out to go to the bus, and he wouldn't go outside the door. We had to physically move him outside of the house. And then he ran around and came back in the back door. So the next day, when we shoved him out the front door, Mom ran around back and locked the back door. And so I'm at the front with the front door locked, and she's at the back door with the back door locked, and the kid is screaming and pounding to let him in the house. I'm not going to ride that bus. I'm not going to school. Sometimes you have to do things that uh, your children just don't understand. But it's not just about confusion. And that's a delicate issue, but there's other issues, right? Suppose you might say, if a mother loved her children, she would never shout at them. 
which sounds good and right, except for the fact that, yeah, you're ahead of me on this one, aren't you? That if you've ever tried to raise young children, you know that even the most patient, long-suffering, good mothers sometimes find the end of their rope. Yes, right, you're with me, right? And sometimes the dads do too. If a child loves his parents, he will never lie to them. And that sounds good and right, and it should be true. Only you know it isn't. Right? That a child does love his or her parents, and yet they still do wrong. If a man loves his wife, he'll never take her for granted. Sounds good, sounds right, sounds true, but it doesn't always work that way. Even the best husbands take their wives for granted, and vice versa. Right? Yes, right. Just this, this week, I met with a young couple who were doing premarital counseling, kind of going through this. This is their last session. So here we are, sitting in my office, and, and I do what I normally do about this time, is I, I, I have copies of the, the prayer book, the service. And this is the part where the vows are. You remember that part? In the name of God, I take you to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, until we are parted by death. This is my solemn vow. I don't know how many times I've stood in the front of the church and had these couples repeat after me, this is my solemn vow. When I had this couple in my office this week, though, I said to them, what do you think it means to cherish someone? What do you think that means? Have and hold, rich or poor, sick and sell, get all that stuff. But what does it mean to cherish someone? You know, as I was reading through the commentary I mentioned earlier, and and this person says it couldn't be any clearer, I began to look at the text in the original language and say to myself, well, it's not so clear in the original language what this guy was suggesting. Jesus doesn't actually say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. It's not actually what he says. What he says is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's the better translation And some of you might be saying, oh, I think you're playing with semantics here. Maybe I am, but there's another word in the New Testament for obey. It's it's a hupakao, which means to come under the voice of one's authority. Hupa means under, and akuo means to hear. So hupakuo means to come under the, the authority of someone else's voice. We would say to take a command or to obey orders. Suppose a sergeant in the military says to a private, give me 50 push-ups. He's not looking for a debate on the effect of calisthenics as a form of punishment, is he? You know, this isn't up for this isn't up for question. He means that his subordinate will do as he's told. You heard what I said, now do it. Sometimes at the house, a dad at my house might say something like, Are you listening to me? Do you hear what I'm saying? Because this isn't about a discussion right now. Uh, this is an order. It's in the imperative voice. <laughs> do what I'm saying. If you ask a waitress at a restaurant, could you bring me some more salad dressing? It's a rhetorical question, isn't it? You expect her to do what you're asking. It's not a, you know, a debate. I don't know. Maybe I could. Maybe I can't. Hupakuo. To come under the voice of someone else. Come under the authority of someone else's voice. Imagine you had a butler. I always like to imagine that we had a butler. We know, you know. I would name he would be Jeffrey. I'm sure that would be his name. Jeffrey is always our butler in my in my fantasy uh, world. Um, suppose you had a butler, 
and, and the doorbell rings. There is an implied command, isn't there? Jeffrey, get the door. You don't have to say it to him. Just the, com- just the doorbell ringing carries its own command. In Acts chapter 12, there's a, a house full of believers. Peter's in prison, he's in chains, an angel comes and releases him. And he goes to the house where his friends are. The house is locked tighter than a drum, and so he gets there and he knocks on the door. A young girl named Rhoda is in the house, she's the maid. And she answers the door. The same word, hupakuo, is the word that that is used by Luke to describe her answering the door. She responds to that authority. But that's not the word that Jesus uses in John chapter 14. He uses the word tereo, which is a different word. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You would expect him to say obey, but he doesn't. He says keep, and he says it all throughout the same word he uses. This word is a different word. It means to guard or protect to, to look over, to set aside. to um, Sometimes it's used of a soldier that is, used, that is placed outside of um, like a, a territory in order that was you know, taken. Now you guard and protect this territory. Or sometimes it's even to guard a, a person of, of interest, whether it's a, a dignitary or even a prisoner, to guard them, to keep them safe. This is the word that Jesus uses. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will protect them. You will guard them. It's Memorial Day weekend. We should be thinking about this. I mean, this is a way to... to people who guard and protect serve, don't they? Imagine a Secret Service agent working for the president. Feels like there is danger in the, in the area. What does the Secret Service agent do? He moves to put himself between the president and whatever danger. He uses his own body to shield or to guard. That's exactly the word that Jesus uses here. A soldier gives his life to preserve or to protect freedom. They're trying to keep it for us. And so when I translate this word, that's the way I do it. Protect, guard, or even cherish. If you love me, you will protect my commandments. If you love me, you'll guard my commandments, Jesus might have said. Or even this, if you love me, you will cherish my commandments. But doesn't he know that we're kind of weak? You know, we're really good at protecting commandments on Sunday. We can even read them in church, you know. Let's get those babies out there. We want to, we'll recite these up and down. And maybe even Monday we're still pretty good at it. But Tuesday... Wednesday? Thursday? Boy, those things get a little bit harder every day, don't they? If only, if only we had a little help. Verse 16. The very second verse. There, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper. My translation has, I think, advocate in our bulletin. Good translations, both. They kind of miss a little bit. Parakletos. This didn't mean to turn this sermon into a Greek lesson, but here we go. Parakletos, para, like parallel, right beside. Kletos, to call, one who's called alongside. Jesus says this, if you love me, you'll cherish my commandments, and even when you're weak, I'll call someone alongside of you. He'll be right there with you to help you. 
I think a lot of people look at Christianity and they think about it as a list of rules and laws and regulations. And and maybe it's true. There are some things we do and some things we don't do. God's given us ten commandments. Jesus narrowed those down into two. And every week, we, we admit it. We confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we have left undone. We have violated God's law. We know it. And we come and we admit it. But Christianity is not about breaking laws or keeping them. It's about a relationship with the living God. It's about an ongoing relationship of love and affection. Yes, it comes with parameters, but all relationships come with parameters, don't they? All relationships are protected by certain agreements about certain parameters, about what we do and what we don't do. And if God's law is burdensome, then the relationship is not a relationship of love. I think some people serve God out of obligation. It's what's expected of them, and they must do it. It's what family does. This is what we do. You know, we serve God out of obligation. And so His law comes as a matter of performance, a standard of which to perform up to. Others, it's about reward. Oh, I have to serve God because this is my only way to heaven. And so God's law becomes the, the requisite job description for a mercenary. And others serve God out of fear. They're afraid what might happen if they don't. And so His commandments are ways to avoid punishment. But Jesus says, if you love me, you'll cherish my commandments. You'll love them. You'll protect them. You'll guard them. Yes, you will fail at them. And if you don't think you will, well, I suppose you should set your alarm clock and wake up. You will. But there's something better than perfect performance. There is something better than perfect performance. And that's a perfect motive. I think a perfect mode is more important than a perfect performance. In 1992, Derek Redmond was the, um, the British record setter for the 400-meter race. He um, had set his own national record and was uh, on the Olympic team, scheduled to go to Barcelona to, to, uh, to run in his best event. He had several other events, but the 400 was his best event. And so uh, he had prepared and trained. His career had had many setbacks. He had been injury prone for so many years. But in 1992, he was in the best shape of his life. Had worked so hard for this Olympic trial. He was a favorite to win. He thought he would at least bring home a medal. Really excited about this. He gets out there on the starting blocks of the 400. He's ready to go. The, the gun pops. They all take off. He's right in the thick of the pack, moving at a great pace. And about the 250-meter mark, about halfway through the race, when he really started to kick in, all of a sudden his hamstring tore. And he went from a flat-out sprint to his knees in just a matter of a second or two. And you could see all over his face the realization of what had just happened. That his career was over, medal chances were gone, he was done. Racing was finished for him. And then in another second, he did something nobody expected, and he got back up. And with one bad leg and one good leg, he started to hobbling, trying to finish the race. And he went about another 100 meters, hobbling, going about as fast as he could, but nothing much more than a, than a slow jog. The race is well over by now. Everybody's finished. But Derek is determined to finish this race. And all of a sudden, a man broke through the, the line, the security line on the outside. And a guard went to grab him, and the man turns and he says something to the guard, and you can't really tell what he says, but we found out later what he said. He said to the guard, I'm his dad. And the guard let him go. 
And Jim, Anderson, uh, Jim uh, Redmond rather, ran to his son Derek and he put his arm around his waist. He grabbed his boy's arm and he put it around his neck. And with three good legs, two runners finished that race. Derek finished dead last. <laughs> in fact, the next event was ready to begin and they were still on the track. You know, they were, He was so far last that there was... The truth is, the Olympic Committee determined that he had to be a DNF and did not finish because he didn't finish the race on his own. He was disqualified. But when those two men crossed that finish line, 65,000 people in Barcelona got on their feet and was a standing ovation that went on forever. You know, there's sometimes there's a better version of perfection. Sometimes there's a better version of perfection than competing and winning and keeping all the rules perfectly. Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And even when it's tough, I'll send a helper to be there with you. Amen.